This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good afternoon and welcome. Um, I'm Bob Hess. Uh, this is the last and in a lot of ways the most exciting lunch poems reading of the year. Um, I, I need to begin by thanking Giovanni Singleton for her work in organizing lunch poems this year and every year. She'll be back with us next year. And Gigi, thank you so much for your help. And Dave Dewar for his and the whole library staff that makes this happen. Um, as you know, the last reading of the year is uh, the is the student reading. So uh, some of our readers are graduating. Um, so we are not only celebrating their poetry, but celebrating this huge life change that happens at this point. Um, and our first reader will be Dominic Amara. He's a fourth-year molecular and cell biology major with a minor in English who plans to apply to medical school in June while continuing to enjoy reading and writing poetry and short stories in his free time. Please welcome Dominic. Thank you, Professor Haas, for the introduction. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for coming. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Uh, The poem I'm going to read today uh, I wrote when I suffered some personal and uh, professional setbacks, and I became rather disappointed. Um, But I thought about what kind of person I would be if I let those setbacks uh, kind of stick with me. And so I wrote this poem, and I called it Endeavor. No wish, no blaze inside, I wander here to ponder what the years have done to me. I think of times with dreams so infinite, my thoughts like millions of streams flowing. Goals of me endeavoring to hero's deeds bring back the child I used to be, so bold. But now those visions, great and glorious, have long since haunted me, yes, daunting me to shame. Those aims for fame, they flashed out, like a dying flame. Reflection here of mine in time, please listen now before the thief of age robs your belief too, so believe. Image, you must not falter, strive instead, and mar your brow with dust and scars, with quests and then conquest. Envision and you shall be blessed. Do not let your inferno die. You can then rise above the rest. To fail only gives way to feats in your fortune. For me, it is far, far too late to change. Soon I must fall and bid you faint farewell, returning to my boring life without adventure. Goodbye then, my friend, for the rays call once more, although each bright daybreak begins my morning, my monotony. Thank you. Our next reader is Joe Bush. He's a reckoned a resident of Vacaville, which makes him a climate cooling denier. He would like to start a campaign to replace Senator Feinstein with Senator Edward Snowden as chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. (laughs) He informs me that he's a card-carrying member of an electorate that was hoping change in this country would be more than skin deep. What keeps him sane is that he remains a longtime Lunch Poems volunteer. Please welcome Joe. I put you on the spot with having to read a bio like that, so uh, thank you for go- following it through. 
Uh, as parents, we are sometimes asked to provide um, answers for questions which we might still be working out to our own satisfaction. And that effort is the crux to this following poem, which might also be a ghost story. Uh, if it's not a ghost story, I'm not sure what else it might be. Uh, this mercifully short poem, nevertheless, comes in two parts. And it is the unfortunate ending to a story meant for children. Are there children in the audience? I saw a baby carriage a while ago, but uh, actually, that's all I see. So. Uh, part one, small absences. Early comes our absence. Where, oh, where our presence, the headless mouse, in a deflated blue belly, lonesome wing, overhead the songbird <laughs> sings. Our youngest will offer through thick lisp his theories, his sister an eye roll and pass the Rice Krispies, and each of us eyeing the clover low fat, a caption to read. Have you seen this cat? They are not saved by our great fear. Girls and boys still disappear. Daily comes the news we dread. Wives and mothers wake to find the empty bed. And so perhaps you judge this family rather small to fret some pet which does not come when called. Comes instead a tiny thing, tiny yet immense. An entity to fill all space, yet leaves such paltry evidence. A flash of tail, a glimpse of flank, something not seen when thinking, but only where the mind goes blank. One enters, and then there, no, there, no, nowhere, then it won't be caught. It is most there when it is not. If seen for sure, and both kids swear it's so, when they cross the former haunts of cat now come as ghost, it must be like the faintest star, some dim receding glow, discerned when viewed aslant, detected where direct gaze can't. And more, to know what dancers know, dancing under pelts, to make it real, to call it forth, before it's seen it must be felt. Sleep, dear children, show no fear. Our ghosts are only familiar. Totem of our little tribe, all their questions circumscribe. Tiny trickster, make them smile. Chase your shadow for a while. Leave no tracks across the floor. Form a queue behind their door. Part two, return of the dead. Sorry, children, time for bed. Thank you, Joe. Uh, our next reader is David Hernandez. He's a junior transfer from Modesto who's studying English and philosophy. Most recently, his poetry has been published in UC Santa Cruz's Matchbox Literary Magazine. Please welcome David. Hi, everyone. Um, so uh, as Professor Haas said, 
I moved from Modesto uh, last year as a transfer student. And one of the first things that I had to do when moving to Modesto was, from moving, after moving from Modesto, was to find a job here in Berkeley. And I had never had a job before. So the only place that took me was this uh, Thai restaurant where I worked for one night for $20, and then they let go of me. (laughs) So this poem came out of that experience. And uh, it's just describing a simple kitchen scene. It's titled, Yes, the Moon Makes Its Appearance. I stand nearly knock-kneed because I'm tired, but the carrots in this sack won't peel themselves. And I'm by your station, only the width of a carrot's peel beside, watching you fill crab rangoon through the corner of my eye, and I sense you, may have your legs crossed, the left pulsing off the right in rhythm with my peeling. And I sense the edge of your pleated skirt, pleated like a swell, might too be rising and receding from the ridge of your pale kneecap with this lunar impulse that cowers to attract and tempts to repel. But I can't look to make sure, because I'm new at this, and these carrots won't peel themselves, the rangoon won't fill themselves, and nothing in this kitchen, as far as I can tell, will take care of itself. Thank you. We could work on genetically modified self-peeling carrots for the next. <laughs> Andrew David King is a senior studying philosophy and English. He's graduating, and he's been a very active and vivid member of the undergraduate and graduate literary community here. Welcome, David. Alex, welcome, Andrew David. Thanks for that. Um, so I'm going to read an erasure of an email that um, Chancellor Bergenau sent out after the um, protest incidents in 2011, November of 2011, that is. Um, It's titled Robert J. Bergenau, so he could consider it a kind of tribute, I guess. And I'm going to try and read the spaces um, in the erasure. Dear campus community, I returned to Berkeley and advanced intermittent leadership. The videos of November 9 are very us. We face long-term risks of excessive community. I have asked the police to review the police as is normal. Police review this report. I am confident. We believe all students arrested the police. I believe we must repeal the American public. Thanks to the efforts of the legislature, we can change the aspirations of America, I am confident in chance. Thanks. Thank you, Andrew. The erasure technique is you just take a text and erase partly randomly in order to... Hopefully more than partly randomly. 
hopefully more than partly randomly. That was my impression. So Amanda Phillips has been recently accepted for publication. I guess her writing has been recently accepted (laughs) for publication in uh, Matchbook Magazine and UC Berkeley's Imaginarium. She's studying for her degree in the Department of Social Welfare. Please welcome her. Um, Thank you. I'm really honored to be here. This is a very plush rug. And uh, those are chandeliers, and I think some of you are sitting on velvet. So, um, okay, this one's titled, um, In San Francisco, I'm caught in an Amaro-filtered fog of finely bearded men in cardigans who talk amongst themselves and have little opinion of me. Finely bearded men who work for the Internet and sleep in places with cherrywood floors and carmine-colored wallpaper, flushed with gold leaves and flowers that aren't really flowers, flowers that refuse to do anything, but eye me in hallways so red that I almost don't hear when I'm asked if I want a nightcap, or two, or three, and then maybe if I want to stay the night, because there's no way out of the city. Even if I want to go home, there's no way out of the city anyway, and so I'll stay another night, and then another, in this city filled with finely bearded men who don't give their names, who don't know what my name is, or don't remember, and if they do, don't call me by it, because Amanda is the name of other girls, girls in Oxfords and high-waisted shorts, Girls who wanted nothing more than to talk in the dark about feelings. And all they ever talked about were feelings. And so it's good, they say, that I don't have a lot of those. Because a lot of people have a lot of feelings. And I'll say, oh, I didn't know. And tuck mine behind the folds of carmine-colored wallpaper. And hallways flushed with gold leaves and flowers that aren't really flowers. Our next reader is Irina Popescu. She's a PhD student in Compilate, working on the intersection between literature and human rights in North and South America. She started writing poetry at the age of eight, uh, and her parents emigrated from Romania. Please welcome Irina. That was, like, literally my life story, so thank you for that introduction. Um, this is such an amazing space to be in. Um, and thank you guys for organizing this every year. It's pretty. It's just an amazing kind of experience to share with all of you. Um, this poem is called Getting Here. So we grew a little and saw the time pass and the world go crazy, dancing to the tune of summer with pedaling hearts and beating lungs, watching the neighborhood boys get drunk off Mad Dog near a hot dog shop somewhere outside Austin. So we grew a little and started to think about missing things, drinking beer from a plastic cup on a spring night when fireflies tickled our bare stomachs, offering enough light to see past the sunset. Or when we thought we'd survive off pasta and cheese, hoping to save enough money and leave, never realizing we were already here. So we grew a little and began to think of the past as the past, watching stories stack up like snapshots molding the inside of our recollection with images ready to be put into words. Words, sweetheart, in one frame, erased by the sound of laughter as you whispered it into my ear. So we grew a little and took risks to get here, picking up rocks that look like faces along the way, drawing in their missing parts, a smile on yours, half a mouth on mine. Funny we know how to tell what's missing from rocks, 
It's people we need help with. So we grew a little and found a way back to the river. Our slightly freckled bodies mended by lonely shadows casting memories on the tides near our feet as the gentle lights of dawn design the here and now. Thank you. So our next reader is Michael Shaw. He's a junior English major who came to college after a career in management and marketing because poetry and fiction are more fun than parking lots and restaurants. He grew up on the big island of Hawaii and currently lives in Walnut Creek with his wife, Quinn. Please welcome Michael. Thank you, Professor Haas. It's such an honor to be here, and I'm so grateful to have won a Cook Prize for this poem. So I'm going to read you my prize-winning poem. It's called The Foundation Goes Here. And just a word, it's uh, kind of a shapey poem, so I'll do my best to give you some uh, audible shapes. The foundation goes here. I build a structure that might live on without me, where this glorious monument, this scaffolding, triumph of my engineers, my modern artifice, intelligence in beams and happy trestles, fallacy. This house, it's built for you, but will you remember? It falls to keepsake some remains, a doorstop ruin. I'll leave you a note. Can't stay. Without artifice, this house, it falls to ruin. Scaffolding? Fallacy. Remember? A doorstop can't. I build a structure that might live on me, where this glorious monument, this Triumph of my engineers, my modern intelligence in beams and happy trestles. It's built for you, but will you keepsake some remains? I'll leave you a note. Stay. Thank you. Claire Tuna is a fourth-year undergraduate studying computer science and creative writing. She is a vegetarian except for Bongo Burger. For her current project, Napkin Thoughts, she aims to write a tiny image poem every day. Please welcome Claire. Good afternoon. Um, I'm graduating in two weeks or something, and I wanted to thank the creative writing faculty and students. Workshops have been such a treat, um, and I've loved them a lot. So here's my poem. Um, 6 p.m., sun's still out, bird's still out. Birds and doors squeak. Two boys with cold drinks in plastic cups with straws, wearing glasses, wearing sneakers. Girls dress different when it's sunny out. The girl with the pastry taking bites acts as the drum. People go north empty-handed and south with coffee in one hand. Watching the bird on top of this lamppost is like watching a movie filmed too slowly, so discreet, scanning for something. Thank you. In one of our classes, one of the other students said about Claire's poems that if, you're, if, you were, if her, her brain were a pocket, she'd feel like Claire's was picking her pockets. <laughs> uh, our next reader is David Vandaloo. He's a PhD candidate from in UC's English department. He has a book of poems coming from Cannibal Press called Arkansas, Poems in Bafturk, a journal put out by Book Thug. 
Please welcome David. Hi, thanks, Bob, um, and Giovanni, and all you guys for coming out here. Um, I want to give you guys an option. Do you want to hear a poem called Cathead or a poem called Block? Just Cathead. Ch- Cathead, okay. <laughs> Cathead. Crude syrinx, arch that marriage of mirages, almost nothing. I can't stand that line together, hunches of meat segment, shot out white, precise upon the ton, that whippet fluxes blind with radix. A vegetable is a democracy. A behaviorist falls to heaps, horse there, bores that pitted mouth, lures, though shovelfuls lurk well gone with, were, laying with there, so long nothing stopped there. The rest went on with repeating, all aporia blue, with euphoria, with minerals, cords of cave swiftlets unknown, loom, banished lumen echo that tomb beating speed. Amphibians, though your mood, there is union for things, teeth without direction, cosmic jam, mud, rock, sand, water, spirals square at your oars, erasure, your weird, your hair, jetties their height, no oil, no luster, then bag, cubicus amina, anon, that yellow, it can be a rose. Dark, if I could forth that identify Pythagoras with his lapidary murder, charming pastoral, harkens back, misfits private, at collection, heart-shaped terrestrial, 14 points worn between yes and nor to citrus. Burn holes, maybe standard sunlit terrors, column or altar, either five stanzaic hearts with more hearts, five existent vertebrae, unknowing nearly that body with raving shape. Withdrawn, that spectrum furls, incarcerated, not to suffice the glad annals, resonators pull through that nimbus, cringe, Gendered heap, flume your bright angel fuck, that emotion unknowing curves. A lover's knot, the chancellor, resembles at foot, towards cliff. Fuck the presumed mountain song, this death figure hangs on the wall. Runic, that life, vocable, gray mountain song. Rectangular word in the form of an eight-spoke clover. Control that we prefer to describe, are so close together. Curse, doxish. Cylinder, roundel, figure oval, reprinted laments, its own traditions, arts of the egg displayed, miscellaneous called rhombus. We call it an inverted pyramid. The tapers express it as regret, misery, dislocation, and reply desolation, and so on. It and another have not survived, neither popular beginning nor end. They were attempting at embarrassment, however slight that apt, and seldom, for instance, someone would have collected it in that nation less true once they begin even a pamphlet. The second unusual thing forced tone as if they would not hear it. There can't be very much even before the many would have survived. A real corollary forms the prescription. Denies ongoing, one might speculate, is not for us to say. There must have been broadsides. Tree, we're in a park, we're in a park, we're in a park. We're on a bench, we're on a bench, we're on a bench. I see you in the dark, I see you in the dark, I see you in the dark. You are between the trees with your dog, you are between the trees with your dog, you are between the trees with your dog. You have a gun pointed at us, you have a gun pointed at us, you have a gun pointed at us. What am I supposed to do with this? Thanks. Thanks, David. Uh, Our next reader is Anastasia Yip. She's an English and history major, trained in classical ballet, and she loves to paint. 
She's also an assistant editor for the Berkeley Poetry Review. Please welcome her. Thank you for the introduction, and thank you for giving me this amazing opportunity to share my poem with you all. Today, I'm going to read a poem called Waters of the Bite. First of all, I went to a British school, so I didn't know that Americans don't use the term bite. So just for your information, bite basically means uh, the shore or like the bay. Um, This poem is actually inspired by Half Moon Bay. when my friend and I were walking his dock along the shoreline. And it is a really mediocre beach, in my opinion. But what can you expect from a NorCal beach, right? Anyway, so so there you go. Waters of the Bight. Showers on the Bight, scour of the blight, second ties, another height, blackening the flattened night. Countless stars store endless dread, tricolored flags dribbling red. Crosses cross as currents tread, through narrow sand they thread. Scholars of the past scribble anthems for the crippled, all burst and bubble when the better shore ripples. But some rain cleanses the rain, and waters crimson down the drain. Thank you. Thank you, Anastasia. Uh, Our next reader is Nicole Cassian. She's a third-year English major, history minor. She likes taking walks, but frequently gets lost due to horrible sense of direction. Very useful quality for a poet. And memorizes poetry to keep her company in these instances. Nicole. Ooh, hello. I feel all fancy right now. Um, Thank you all for being here, because I don't really think that a poem is alive until it's heard. So thank you for making my poetry alive today. Um, This poem is called Variation on the Implications of Trust. Someday, I'm going to write you a poem, I swear. A proper one with proper rhymes, the kind that you like. None of this iambic monologuing that depends on rhythm to make its point, and sometimes just hangs or as they say and jams, a word in the air for no clear reason at all that you care to reason out. No, you're a heroic couplet kind of person, and I can respect that, trust me. Or don't trust me, as the case may turn out to be. Of course, considering how long we've been together, I hope that you do trust me, as I trust you. I have trusted you to save me the last cookie in the batch that is still unburned, and I've trusted you to take my side in arguments over the correct lyrics in Fall Out Boy songs. And I've trusted you to point out when there's something in my teeth in the most tactful way you can manage. And I've trusted you to remind me that death by thesis is far more likely than death by starvation, considering the modern student's low station. Writing's hardly a stable profession, after all. Yet here I am praying it will all turn out right. We'll see how it goes, and hopefully it will go somewhere. In the meantime, I've got you. And that's great. By the way, I hope you're not expecting that proper poem anytime soon. I tend towards tardiness, as you're certainly aware, and will take me at least a hundred years. And sadly for you, I trust you to still be here, as I have trusted you to wait for me at the bus stop for ten minutes more than I'd said I'd arrive. You always say you'll leave me behind the very next time it happens, but so far you're still there, frowning. And I want you to know that you do not take it for granted, not the waiting or the frown on your face, and what it means that it won't reach your eyes. It means love, but since you don't like that word, 
I'll say trust and pretend the rest of the message stays unheard. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.